Good morning. I missed you. Good to be back home. I'm telling you what, it wasn't all that long. It was only two weeks. Last week we went to church somewhere else, and my conclusion walking away was, I just want to go back home. So good, good to be here today with you. Some of you are wondering what the great exotic trip was we went on. I went to my living room, and then to my kitchen, and then to the hallway, and then to some other room, and painted and painted and painted. So if you came to our house today, you'd find it is the same color, but a whole lot cleaner. So that was, that was the vacation, a painting vacation. Didn't wander far, but um, got a lot of work done. So it is good to be back home with you, as I said, and we're going to have a great time of worship today. Today we're uh, literally bringing Elijah home. Uh, we're going to end our series in Elijah and talk about the way he went to heaven. So we're uh, going to have a great time of study together as well as time of singing. And as we get started, what I'd like to do is, uh, if you'd stand, we're going to pray our gathering prayer. I have a little bit of an awkward situation today. You can stand. Go ahead. Um, the, the monitor isn't here. The monitor is missing. So all of you think I have this stuff in my head? No. There's a monitor that tells me everything. So I'm going to have to look over here. You're going to read the indents. You're praying the indents. I'm playing, praying the ones off to the edge. And you notice down toward the bottom, there's a place for some silence. So... After talking about hearing that still small voice, we'll just take a couple of moments to be silent and then we'll pick up once again, okay? Let's pray. O God, who is greater than the most powerful forces in this world, enable us to be still and know that you are God. Oh, still small voice, speak to us this hour. Pray this with me. We pray all this in the name of the one who calmed the raging sea. Amen. Let's sing. Out of the ashes we 
this morning.
any of you remember what it was like to be a child? Do you remember? Do you remember having that childlike faith? Do you remember believing how big God was and how nothing was impossible for him? Or maybe early in your faith when God was just so huge that he could handle everything. Do you remember believing the words that you used to sing as a child? Do you still believe them? Or how about the words that we sing now? Do you believe, do you really believe that Jesus loves you? God's love is amazing and at times overwhelming. And I think Paul put it perfectly in Ephesians when he said, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And here's my favorite line. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Would you sing with me this morning? Jesus loves me this
loved by your Father in heaven. Have a seat. Well, as you walked in, you got a folder. And on the inside, there's a card. I need you to take out the card. And this is important today. I know I say that every week and you go, well, it's always important. No, this is really important. Because we're going to be sending you a couple emails this week about the picnic next week and other events coming up. And so we want to make sure that we have the most accurate email possible. So if you go ahead and put your name on a card and put your email, that is if you want to receive the emails. If you don't, you don't have to. In fact, we don't just put you into our system. So on the back side of the card, you notice there's a place to check off in that I am interested in. The third box down, I'm interested in receiving Southfield emails. The last thing we want to be known as is the Church of Spam. We don't like spam in the can or or in the box. So either way. And so if you don't want to be in, you don't have to be in. But if you do, it's important that you let us know that so we can go ahead and include you in the emails that are coming this next week. If you're visiting with us for the first time, great to have you here today. We have a gift for you that we'd like you to take on your way as you're leaving. You see a table out in the hallway. It's got a Bible on it. Uh, the version that we use, the New, New Living Translation, it's plain American English. Easy to understand, easy to read. And if you don't have one like that, feel free to take it. And then the other thing we do, if, if you decide that you want to identify yourself on a card today and say, yeah, I'm a first-time guest. I was here for the first time. We're going to send you something in the mail this week. Not going to tell you what it is, but something's coming. And so uh, make sure you go ahead and put your address and that your first time is today. So so here we are today is uh, one of those days as we get started that we ask you a question, a question that you lean over and talk to somebody. Want to make sure nobody gets left out on this. So, you know, as we start, if you look and see someone just sitting there, make sure you go ahead and bump them. But sometimes these uh, these questions are hyper-spiritual. Sometimes they're a little silly. This one, uh, what I want you to do with it is have fun with it. Don't get hyper-political and weird with it, Okay. The question is, if I were king, I would. All right? If, for example, if I were king, I'd fix the Des Plaines River Bridge. <laughs> Ding! I must be king. All right, so anyway, go ahead, lean over, talk to somebody about what you would do if you were king. Go ahead. 
are you? as we start the last sermon of this series, I want to acknowledge the graphics. I didn't do that. Nobody in our church did it. There's a, there's a church in Oklahoma, and they have an open source on the graphics for their series and whatever, and they just they flatly say, hey, if you can use it, feel free to use it. So we don't use the sermons, but we love using the graphics and being able to have something cool and fun. So and nice not to have to sit for hours designing a a crow. So anyway, I just want you to know that that came from them, and we're, we're appreciative, for, appreciative of that. Summer flew by, didn't it? I mean, boom, gone. I mean, it seems like literally minutes ago, I was driving, dropping Nate off for his junior, the last day of his junior year, and here we are already. He's back to school, and the normal routine has begun. And you know what? Our, our study in Elijah has flown by as well. This has been one of those studies for me. Uh, I've just really been drawn into this character. It's been very, very meaningful. And I, I hope that it's been the same for you. Almost every sermon, I found myself saying, my goodness, this, I could take this three or four more sermons. I mean, you, there's so much to dig into, so much in here. There's so much to learn from this man. He's truly so inspiring. We learned at the beginning of the series that his name, Elijah, means my God is the Lord. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have a name that just declares exactly what you believe? My God is Jehovah. My God is the Lord. And the pages that follow that introduction, the man lives up to his name. Time and time again, he lives up to that identity with Jehovah. Well, we've gone on quite a journey with Elijah. He came on the scene, you remember, very suddenly, almost without warning. Boom, there he is. There's his story. No buildup. There was this wicked king and his wife. And God wanted to teach them a lesson. And he taught them a lesson through a man named Elijah. He got to relay the message. Get ready for a drought. The drought wasn't just something random. God didn't pull it out of his bag of tortures and say, I know, I'll just give them a drought. The drought had a specific purpose. God was coming up against, Jehovah was coming up against the false deity Baal. Jezebel had brought Baal from her homeland and said, this is the God we should worship. He's a God of fertility. He'll guarantee our crops grow. He'll guarantee the rain falls. And Jehovah said, I want to prove her wrong. I want to prove her wrong. And so for years, there was no rain. As the land began to dry up, we saw Elijah migrate to a brook named Cherith or Kareth, which means to cut. And in that cutting place, God did two things. He cut Elijah off from human contact to teach him that God can be depended on and God alone. And also in that place, he cut into his character and helped him become a man who was, who was willing to ask God for big things, for amazing things, for miracles. When the brook dried up, Elijah left the country. God told him to. And he went actually to Jezebel's home country. There in this little seaside town named Zarephath, God used a starving widow and her son to care for and to provide for Elijah. Her willingness to listen to the call of God led to supernatural supply of food for her and for her family. Well, eventually, it came time for the drought to end. And God sent Elijah, an invita uh, to, God sent Elijah to extend an invitation to Ahab and to the people of Israel. 
to come to meet him on Mount Carmel. There we witnessed an incredible standoff and an amazing miracle. Fire came from the sky, demonstrating which God was truly worthy of worship. And the people affirmed it out loud. The Lord, Jehovah, he is the living God. Now, if we were not familiar with the story, we might expect to turn to chapter 19 and find another miracle and another miracle and another, and it would just be incredible and awesome. And instead, we turn to chapter 19 and we find the queen making a threat and Elijah running for his life. He ran from Mount Carmel all the way down to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, the place where Moses had received stone tablets written with the finger of God. In that place, God had asked Elijah a simple question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? He asked it twice. God was really, in a sense, offering Elijah some spiritual direction. He was helping him to probe his soul. He was asking him a soul-searching question. You see, we learned that Elijah at that point, he was just dangerously tired. That condition, being dangerously tired, happens to all of us at one point or another. When our soul hits rock bottom, that unfortunately is the point very often that we sabotage our lives. That's the point that we make unwise decisions. And we even, we even drive our lives off moral cliffs into dreadful patterns of sin. The sources of his exhaustion are numerous, but one really stands out, one above the rest. He felt alone. He just felt dreadfully alone. He believed that he was the only one left in all of Israel that cared about God. Have you ever been there? Am I the only person left that believes what the Bible says? Am I the only person left that actually embraces God himself? He felt so alone. God assured him that his misguided impression was not reality. There were actually thousands who had not bowed the knee to Baal. But that's what we do when we're dangerously tired, right? We contort the facts. What we feel, especially our bad feelings become our reality. And that's what we start to believe about the world. Maybe today you're in the same place as Elijah. Your, your soul is just exhausted. Your spirit is weary. One of the fundamental promises of God, woven as a theme throughout all of the Bible, from beginning to end, is this. You are not alone. I am with you. I will always be with you. Author Richard Foster refers to this as the Emmanuel principle. Emmanuel literally means God with us. In his book, Life with God, Foster talks about what he refers to as with God life. This is what he says. Throughout all of human history, the voice of God resounds with the absolute reassurance, I am with you. And then he goes through this list of characters in the Bible who received that direct message from God. He starts with Isaac and Jacob, Joshua a couple of times, David, uh, Daniel, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Haggai. Christ himself said what? I'll be with you to the very end of the age. And when you come all the way to the end of the book, how does God describe heaven? The place that God will be with his 
people. He, re- he sends that message time and time again. I-, I found no small amount of irony that today as our-, our Southfield kids wrap up their summer, this is the verse they're doing together today. Let's say it out loud together. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I'm with you. I'm with you. You are not alone. I think it's one of the reasons that that song has resonated with me so much in this recent season. Never once did we ever walk alone. You are faithful. God, you're, you're always faithful. So that's where we've been. That's where we've been with Elijah. Today I want to wrap up his story. And you know, I hate to do it. I mean, there's so much more to explore. So what we're going to do is we're going to just hit some highlights from the rest of his life and learn some lessons from his experiences. At the end of chapter 19, God gives Elijah a handful of assignments. Elijah has some anointing to do and some appointing to do. He's to anoint a new king of Aram, a new king of Israel, and he's to appoint his own replacement, the person that will take over after he's done. Elijah was about to initiate a season of transitions, not only for some nations, but for himself. Soon he would not be doing the job he was doing anymore. Elijah leaves Sinai and he heads out to find Elisha. And we find this at the end of chapter 19. We read, Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with one of the 12 teams. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left The oxen standing there ran after Elijah and said to him, Let me first go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I've done for you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow and built a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, again, in these few short verses, we've got, we got our own mini-series here, okay? But we're just going to take a few moments with it. This passage feels a little bit abrupt. I mean, Elijah is about to name, anoint his successor. And what does he do? There's no ceremony. There, there's no, nothing fancy, not a certificate. He walks over, throws his coat on him, and walks away. And there it is. Come on, you're done. Bam. Now, you are anointed. Congratulations. While he uses few words, I mean, actually, he uses no words, Elisha still understood what happened here. He got the point. He asks Elijah for permission to go say goodbye. He sees the coat as an invitation, an invitation to follow Elijah. And Elijah permits him to go, but says that, you know, you go back. But think about it. Think about what I've done for you. Now, that whole kiss my father and kiss my mother goodbye is more than just a a goodbye. It implies that he hoped for their blessing in his new new venture. I I want you to bless me in this. I I need that from you. One commentator suggests that the, the slaughtering of the oxen was a celebration of the fact that he had received his parents' blessing. Another application, though, is often drawn from this passage. Elisha made a hard break with his past. The new call demanded that he let go of what was in his hand and receive something new. The slaughtering of the oxen could really be seen 
in light of the passage in Mark chapter 1. You remember this passage where Jesus is calling disciples? He speaks to Simon and Andrew. He speaks to James and John. They're out fishing, and he says, come follow me. And the Bible says they dropped their nets. They came. They immediately followed him. They had to let go of something in order to start a new life. A new call cannot be embraced until old nets are dropped. A new challenge cannot be accepted until the oxen are slaughtered. In our lives, this story may apply to a call. God may be calling you to do something, but you find it impossible figuratively to kiss mom and dad goodbye and to slaughter your oxen. You're you're wanting to hold on to both. You want the old and the new. It may not be about a vocational call. Maybe it's a moral call. It's a call to purity. Maybe you want to follow God, but... And and you have that area that you go, if I follow God, I'm going to have to give up doing this. I'm going to have to give up this thing in my life. It's only when we release our grip that we can accept the new challenge, that we can accept the new call. And so from Elisha, we learn that lesson of letting go before we can move on to the next thing that God has for us. Now, there's another incident I want us to see before we bring Elisha home. For this one, you have to turn to 2 Kings, and we catch the rest of his story. There are several chapters in the middle that either highlight uh, Elijah in a small way or don't mention him at all. And then we come to chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 2 Kings, and his story is wrapped up. Ahab's son, Ahab dies. The king Ahab dies, and, and his son takes over, and not surprisingly, his son is wicked as well. His name is Ahaziah. Ahaziah suffers an injury. And the injury is life-threatening. He wants to know if he'll recover. He wants to know, is this going to end my life? What's going to happen? Rather than turn to Elijah, rather than turn to Jehovah to find the answer, Ahaziah turns to his mother's pagan deities to find out what's going to happen in his future. Look at Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 2. It says, One day Israel's new king, Ahaziah, fell through a lattice work of an upper room in his palace in Samaria and was seriously injured. So he sent messengers to the temple of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, to ask whether he would recover. Uh, Did you catch the name of the temple? This is not the new name of our church, okay? The temple of Baal-zebub. Not good at all. He, He turns to false deities for real answers. And in verse 3, Elijah is informed by the angel of the Lord that Ahaziah is looking for answers, but he's looking in the wrong places. And so the angel gives Elijah a message to deliver to Ahaziah, and he delivers the message. Two times, Elijah asks a question, a really important question. Is there no God in Israel? Why in the world are you sending off to a false god to find out the answer? Is there no God in Israel? And he says, because you turned to the false god and not to Jehovah, you're going to pay with your life. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're looking for answers, for solutions somewhere else? That question is an important one. Much like the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? This new question, is there no God in Israel, really probes him and probes us at a soul level. It's a question worthy of asking in our own lives. It's a question of trust. What do I really depend on when times get tough? 
What do I rely on when life gets confusing? What or to whom do I turn? Do you turn to God? Or do you turn to something or someone else? You know, we can sing songs all day long about how much we trust God. We can make pious statements about how we find our hope in the Lord alone. But it is our actions that tell the truth. In moments of desperation, do you turn to God? Or do you turn to something or someone else? If it's someone else, if it's something else, why? Why? Is it because, in truth, you believe there is no God in Israel? Is it, is it because you're not sure that God can be trusted in your life? Is it because you're not even sure that he is? And so you turn to other places because you don't, you don't believe God is reliable or maybe you don't even believe God is there at all. No one likes tough times. Nobody's, I mean, in fact, if you like tough times, seek help. Nobody likes tough times. It, we, it's hard. It's bad. But the truth is, tough times test our trust. Tough times forge our faith. God uses these as tools in our lives to draw, him to our, to draw us to himself. Or what happens? We start going off to our own temple of Beelzebub. We start going off to our own place to find our own answers rather than turning to God. I love this quote. The quote says, Solitude is the place we wait for God in the midst of the unfixable things in our lives. You remember this verse. It's found in Psalm 46, 10. The first part says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still literally means to let go of your grip, to open your hand and let go of what you're holding. Because what happens when we're doing this? We're controlling, right? We're the ones in charge. We're going to make this happen. And it's when we do this and say, God, you're in control. I know you can be trusted. That, that's when we've learned the lesson of what we're talking about. Can you sit with God and wait for him? Wait for his answer? Or will you turn and run to your own temple of Beelzebub, seeking your own self-styled answer? Too often we get very activistic, and we don't just sit and wait for a response from God. We race off to our temple as if there was no God present in the universe. Where do you turn in times of trouble? It reveals a lot about what we really believe in of God. Is it because you believe there is no God in heaven? No God intimately acquainted with the details of your life that you keep turning to something or someone else rather than God himself? Well, let's go ahead and bring Elijah home. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. There are only two people in the Bible who did not face physical death. The first was Enoch. His story is found in both the book of Genesis and it's recounted in the book of Hebrews. Genesis 5, beginning with verse 21, says, when Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah, who ironically lived the longest of all. And after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared. 
Because God took him. His friendship with God was so real, so vibrant, so intimate, that one day God just says, come home, come here. I just, I want to be with you. Come now. The other man to avoid physical death is Elijah. The chapter indicates that, that everyone knew that day that Elijah was going home. There were, there were prophets that knew, Elisha knew, Elijah himself knew. Today was the day he was going home to heaven. And throughout the chapter, Elijah keeps trying to get rid of Elisha. Uh, time and time again, he, he keeps kind of doing this. I'm going over here, you stay here. I'm going over here, you stay here. He finds all these, he was going to go to Bethel. He was going to go to Jericho. He was going to Jordan River. And each time he just says, Elisha, you stay here while I go on off. And each time Elisha refuses. And I love what he says. As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. What a provision, right? What, what's Elijah's problem? I'm all alone. And here he has one guy that God has given him who says, I'm by your side until the bitter end. I refuse to leave you. I will be there every step of the way. So let's read what happens once they reach the Jordan River. The Bible said, 50 men from the group of the prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The rivers divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah and Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double portion or a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You will have what you've asked, even though it's a difficult thing. If you see me when I'm taken away, you will get your request. But if not, if not, it won't happen. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. And so it ends. And even the way Elijah goes off to heaven poses the question that he asked on Mount Carmel. You remember it? How much longer will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. You see, I was reading that passage, and I know what's happening. Some of you are secretly thinking. You won't say it out loud, but you're secretly thinking, come on, Dennis, you really believe that? You really believe that a chariot of fire showed up and this guy jumped on and took a ride and he was gone? You really believe that he never died? You really believe that he rolled up his coat, whacked a river, and it separated? I mean, I believed that when I was back in the Sunday school room, but... I'm an adult now with the brain, you know? Am I, am I really supposed to still believe these stories? How much longer will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if your brain is God, then follow that. If you are your God, then follow that. But stop pretending. Stop pretending that you're in when you're not. You either believe what God said or you don't. And it's time to not just play a game with it and say, hey, I'm at church, so I must be a Christian. You know, just like I, you see the one all the time. You're not a car just because you spend time in a garage. 
You're not a Christian just because you spend time in church. Do you believe what this says or not? Where are you with these words? How does it work for you? Going back to that Enoch story, I told you it was mentioned in Hebrews as well. Look at these words. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him away. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must do what? Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We must believe that he exists. Is there not a God in Israel? There's the question again, right? He rewards those who seek him. How do I know that this story is true? You might ask me that. You want to get all intellectual. How do I know this story is true? You know, I could draw your attention to the fact that there were 51 eyewitnesses, 50 prophets and Elisha himself watching this happen. And you'd probably question their credibility. You'd claim collusion or maybe delusion. You'd find some way to write it off. For some of us, this is what it comes down to. We're more in love with knowledge than we're in love with the truth. We're more in love with, with knowing Knowing is everything. Proof is everything. Truth cannot always be proven, although it can clearly be known. Our generation has a great love for knowledge. I'd even say we have a great love for knowing, but we don't necessarily have a great love for truth. We don't necessarily have a great love for believing. Knowledge happens here in the head. Truth happens Here and here, head and heart. Notice I didn't say knowledge happens here and truth happens here. That's what a lot of people, they try to paint it as if somehow faith is, you know, this leap in the dark and you can't really know anything. It's a combination of what you know as well as accepting what you know with your heart. That's that's what we call believing, right? Truth involves both head and heart. The steep rise we see these days in atheism is rooted in, in what we're talking about right now. People want to know. People love knowledge. Why? Well, because knowledge involves control. And people like to be in control of their life, right? They like to hold the steering wheel. They don't want to let anybody else, not even a divine deity, control their life. They want to be in control of what's going on. With truth, we're not in control. Why is that the case? Because truth often involves head and heart. It involves both knowing and trusting. And we can't know sometimes. We can't know beyond what we believe. That's faith. Knowledge does not necessarily require faith. I can figure it out on my own. But truth can only be fully known through the combination of head and heart, through intellect and trust. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You see, either this story is true or the Bible is false. That's what it all comes down to. Either what we read is true or the Bible is false. How much longer will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Now, some are going to go for a creative solution. I believe God is real. I just don't buy the story. 
It's like what the Israelites were doing. The Israelites, the problem wasn't that they were just worshiping Baal. They had a little Jehovah and a little Baal. They were, they were doing all above. They were doing a la carte God. We'll take a little bit of what works right now instead of what does God say? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. It's me and me alone. You don't get to share. He says, I am a jealous God. It's me and me alone. If we start picking and choosing which parts of the Bible we think are true and which are not, where does it end? Where does it end? Much of the moral mess we face in our nation, much of the moral mess we face in the American church has come to picking and choosing the parts we like and unfriending the things we don't. We just say, I don't want anything to do with that. The Bible is an all or nothing proposition. Faith is all in or nothing at all. Like Elisha, we need to slaughter the oxen and move on and follow Jesus. The voice of Elijah speaks to you today from Scripture. He calls out from the pages of the Bible, how much longer will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. His whole story comes down to this. It's time to choose. It's time to choose. You know, we started this series by defining his name, Elijah. My God is is the Lord. His life and his ministry challenges us to ask the question, is the Lord my God? Is my God Lord of my life? Am I wavering between two opinions? Do I say the Lord is my God but ignore his commands? Do I say the Lord is my God but pick and choose the parts of the Bible I'll obey? Do I say the Lord is my God but pick and choose the parts of the Bible I'll believe? I hope you can own his name. I hope you can say wholeheartedly, my God is the Lord. Unquestioningly, my God is the Lord. Let's pray to Jehovah right now. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the life of a man who lived up to his name. So many times these days we're disappointed when we learn people, learn of people, learn of leaders who don't live up to the name of Jesus. And I'm grateful that we can look in the pages of Scripture and find a man who lived up to the name you gave him. And you know what? He he had chapter 19. He had that point that, that he was depleted. You showed a very real man to us. But in all of that, he remained faithful to the name. And I pray that we would do the same. That we would be able to say, my God is the Lord. And it wouldn't just be words. It would be action. That we'd stop playing a la carte when it comes to God. And we'd follow the one God, the one true God in heaven. God and God alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus made all this possible. He made possible relationship with God in heaven. He made that possible through his death on the cross. And each Sunday we celebrate that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by taking communion. We have servers that come with a tray, and it's got bread in the middle and cups around the side. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to go ahead and take one of each and spend some time talking to God. Maybe today you just need to wrestle through that, that whole issue of what are the areas in my life that I've not been willing to slaughter my oxen? What are the areas that I'm still wanting to hold on to an old way of life and God wants a new way of life? Maybe it's time to do some wrestling with there are parts of the Bible I buy and the parts I don't. And it's time to say to God, I'm all in. I am all in on this. 
Whatever it is that you need to wrestle with, maybe it's as simple as saying to God as you're holding that cup today, my God is the Lord, and I own you completely. Whatever it is, deal with that with God right now. We'll be listening to music as communion uh, is distributed. When it comes to you, when you're ready, go ahead and take communion. This week, Father of Heaven, I pray that in those moments of stillness and silence, we would know your unmistakable presence. You have promised us that you will not leave us or forsake us. Whether it is through reading the pages of your word or the events of our lives, make your presence and power unmistakably real. Help us to live up to the name of Elijah. The Lord is my God. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Servers will come now and collect the offering. And as they do, if you several things to share with you. And in fact, I'd probably take about 15 minutes right now just talking through all the, the announcements and events coming up. And so, again, part of the reason it's important to have that email is so that we can get a lot of that to you this way, that way instead of just sitting and taking up a lot of time talking this morning. So next week, we are not meeting here. Everything, in fact, goes back in the box today. So when we're done, everything will be going back into the trailers. And next week, it'll be set up at the river. We're headed to Four Rivers. It's become a, a huge part of who we are. I think it's one of the great one of the great gifts that came out of our time in the wilderness that we started going off and having this time of celebration in the summer as well as being able to just watch people be baptized there in that in that beautiful river in that beautiful setting. So, um, what you need to know is that we'll be meeting at 9:30 and that you're to bring along some food because we have a picnic that goes along with this. So the idea is you need to bring uh, two dishes, and you have three options, okay? You can do salad, side, or dessert. Salad, side, or dessert. So pick two of those, bring them on along. Uh, We provide the hot dogs, the plates, and all that other stuff, drinks, so you don't have to worry about that. But if you could bring that and bring yourself at 930, uh, plan on a great time of celebration together. Probably a fun day to kind of invite some people along to and see just a different fun way of doing church together. The week after, we're going to be headed to the warehouse And what we're hopeful that we're going to be able to do like we did at the warehouse service at the beginning of the summer is to, at some point, trek on over to the building and give you a peek. And I'll tell you what, if you were there at the last one and you're there at this one, you're going to go, oh my goodness, things have changed a little bit. In fact, things have changed a lot of it. It's changed enough. I mean, the form is there and you know. It's, it's really, really awesome. So, And then the week after that, we get back to our normal two-service format. Boy, it's been fun to be all together this summer, hasn't it? Nice full room, being able to hear you sing and all that. Well, we'll be dividing out again come fall and our times of 9.30 and 11, so be prepared for that. Something I've not had a chance to tell you about yet has appeared not too long ago on the inside of your folder. Um, there are a couple of different approaches that you can take to Bible reading. And both are valid and both are very good. I was talking to somebody yesterday who's doing, uh, you know, trying to sweep through as much Bible as they can as quickly as they can to kind of get that overall big picture of what's going on in the Word of God. And we need that. And sometimes you need to slow down long enough to just hear a word or hear a, hear a verse or hear a passage. And so what we're doing from now through the end of the year, we're offering you four passages and it's, the cool part about them, they're designed to all kind of have a common theme, and they all walk through the Bible together. So you've got four passages there. Uh, what I've been doing, the way I've been using this, I read the four at the beginning of the week, and I find the one that God kind of says, you need this, dude. And I just settle in there for the rest of the week. And for the rest of the week, I just settle in on that story or that passage and read it and reread it and just allow God to take the time to speak to me through his word. So I wanted you to know about that. And if you, if you don't have a Bible reading practice right now, uh, you can pick that up. If you do and it's working for you, please keep doing what's working, okay? You don't have to jump tracks and start doing something else. But we always want to offer you something that you can use uh, in order to uh, experience growth. Your folder looks really different today. Over the next few weeks, we'll be advertising the groups that are coming up this fall. Our groups this fall are going to have a common theme. Every group is going to be doing a book together by Francis Chan called Multiply. What we realize as we move into the building, you know, we get kind of this this unique window, a one-time deal. 
and we want to be ready for it. And part of being ready for it is being on the same page, making sure that we're on the same page together. So this book walks us through nine weeks of really, you know, what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be a devoted Christ follower? And so we'll be doing those first nine chapters together. And what you'll see next week is we're going to offer a variety of groups that you can get involved in according to kind of life stage and situation and things like that. But they'll all be studying the same thing. So for example, the running group will still be running, but those will be spending a little bit of time talking about the book. And that's the, way, that's the way the groups will work, okay? So be ready for that. It's coming, and you'll be finding more of that uh, coming in email. Let me give you some building pictures. This is kind of cool. This is standing, what, at the front of the room, looking out. Just leave it there for a second, Ryan, okay? Because i got to tell you what happened with me on this one. I went over one day to talk to the builder and to talk to a sound guy, and we're standing there talking, and I hadn't been there for like a full week. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, I am going to blubber like a baby. I need to go to the restroom. Where's the restroom? Do we have a restroom yet? Where is it? It just, I'm telling you what, for some of you, walking into this place, you're just going to, you're going to lose it. It's so, it's so cool to finally go, oh, my word, I can touch it, and it's real. It's not on a piece of paper anymore. It's going to happen, I think. It's really going to happen, you know? So anyway, go to the next one, Ryan. This one's cool. This is the big hallway. And to the, that side right over there. Um, those are the, the uh, younger children's classrooms. You see the window into their room and the door into their room. Nice, big, wide hallway. Yeah, woo, cheer. Um, and then, of course, that's the outside. And one of the things you'll see happening on the outside in the next few weeks is the siding will start going on. And so now it's going to really start looking like a, a beautiful finished package and ready to go. So um, hopefully, two weeks, we will get over there, take a peek. You'll see what's coming. And uh, I tell you what, we're just we're going to have a really, really exciting fall together. It's going to be a lot of fun as we get ready to move into our house. So let's stand up, and we'll dismiss you today, and then we're back to grab your chair and put it away, and if you can, help us put some curtains and equipment into a trailer. We'd love to have you help out, all right? Dear God in heaven, I thank you again for a man named Elijah. I thank you that we could spend some weeks looking at him and talking about him. Thank you for recording the events of his life. Thank you for letting us get to know him, not just on an event side, but on an emotion side as well. That we see a man who really had skin and bones, flesh and blood. He had a heart sometimes that could be weak, and he had faith that could call, call fire from heaven. God, I thank you for his example, and I pray that as we have the chance to live our lives in the century and the time in which we live, that we would be people who are able to call people to you so that others will ultimately, through our example and through the things you do through us, are able to say, the Lord, he is God. They've seen someone who believes it and someone who lives it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much. Grab a chair and tear it down. Amen.